Deuteronomy chapter 5. And we'll start with verse 1, and we'll go to 7. Deuteronomy 5, and we'll start with verse 1 here. We've not looked at this copy of the Ten Commandments yet, so I figured we might park here again. I uh, hope you're not tired of the commandments just yet. Uh, you got ten more weeks ahead of you, but that's a different story. Notice what is said here in Deuteronomy chapter 5. We'll start with verse 1, we'll go to 7. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time, to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery." You shall have no other gods before Me. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You for Your holy Word. May this Word become alive and a Word for us today who are alive in this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've said the past two Sundays, the Ten Commandments are not obsolete. They are absolute. (laughs) And there's no difference here in the second copy of the Ten Commandments, which is found in Deuteronomy 5. We've been looking at Exodus 20. Now we pick up in Deuteronomy. You say, well, what's the difference here? What's changed in Deuteronomy? Well, quite a bit has changed, if you'll remember the story. Uh, From Exodus, you go to Leviticus and then Numbers, and Numbers is a complete disaster quite frankly. Uh, The people have the covenant. They have now a tabernacle. They have a way to worship God. God has delivered them. He's given them everything that they're going to need. Manna, water, and yet they get to the land and they say to God, I'm not going in there. I'm not going to do that. It's too much for me. And so that entire generation goes wandering in the wilderness roughly 40 years to die. All of that generation dies off. Except for Moses, what's that? Joshua and Caleb. Yes. I thought you had a question. Um, Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. And so here now in Deuteronomy... We have a completely new generation that just saw their fathers and mothers die because of their disobedience. Doesn't sin always lead us to death? It does. It's what the Bible says. It, time hasn't changed that. Sin kills. 
The payment for sin is death. And now you have this new generation. They're not at Mount Sinai anymore. That was Horeb. Where he says the first covenant was made. But now they're at the plains of Moab. The promised land is once again on the horizon. And Moses comes out. This is an elderly Moses at this point. This is a Moses who is very mature in his leadership position. And he says to these people, look... This is for you. (laughs) Nothing's changed. This is the same covenant God made at Mount Sinai. Now He's going to do it again at the plains of Moab. And what I'm saying today is He's also going to do it again here in Madison, Alabama. And what He's saying is, those of you who are alive today that are hearing my words, I once stood between God and you and received this word, and this word is for you, and it will not change. And so he begins to tell them what, it, what was said, which is the first commandment that we're going to look at this morning, and that is, you shall have no other gods before me. I want to ask a few questions this morning to try to lead us through this, this passage. The first one being this, are there other gods? I mean, it's a good, fair question. We even heard from one of our readings this morning in the Psalms, the call to worship talked about gods. And here, no other gods before me. So if God is giving us a command that we're not to have other gods, are there other gods? I mean, surely He wouldn't give us a command, don't jump off cliffs, if He didn't assume we were going to jump off cliffs. Well, here in Deuteronomy, later on in chapter 32, God says, by the way, there's no other gods but me. (laughs) Here, however, He tells them and works with them and speaks to them in their own context. You know, we live in a context that's very unique to the 21st century. I mean, not everybody has had to deal with cell phones. Not everybody has to deal with internet and the problems associated with that. Not everybody has to deal with, not everybody has had to deal with automobiles. Planes, trains, other means of transportation that we have to maintain and to purchase and these sorts of... We deal with things that other generations haven't dealt with. We have a particular context. So did the Israelites. So did this Word from God. And so when God says no other gods, there were gods all around them. That was the ancient world. If you don't know uh, your religious history then you would be good to know that, it would be good to know that, listen, all the world believes in polytheism. Everybody believes in polytheism. Anywhere you go in the world, this is past and even currently, that is not affected by the Old Testament alone, believes in polytheism. So in other words, it's really simple to actually divide the world religions. Very simple. It's not complicated. People say, man, I feel like I'm missing something because I don't know all the world religions. Well, I've looked at them all. I've read most of them. What they have to say. How they practice their faith. All of them are polytheistic except for three. They all believe in multiple gods and goddesses. Except for three. They are Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. 
and all of them have been directly affected by the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the only document in the world to put out there for us monotheism. That there's only one God and there are no others. You only worship one, not many. Now this is significant. Now it's ho-hum to us here in America, right? Because we just assume, we work from a philosophical position that there is a oneness, much like the Greeks did, the Greek philosophers. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. The only way actually philosophy, for those of you who are philosophical, can be done is if you have a universally one principle. It's interesting. Even in Upanishadic Buddhism, where it's very philosophical, you have to have Brahma being one. Nobody does philosophy that has many gods. It's really interesting. It's just a side note. It's for free. It didn't cost you anything. There's only one God. But the rest of the world doesn't know that by natural revelation. Looking at creation, we would assume God was both male and female, wouldn't we? I mean, we talk about plants having genders. We talk about humans having genders, animals having genders. We talk about even then the gods having gender, male and female. I mean, just look around. How do you get more bunnies through sexual means? How do you get more piglets through sexual means? How do you get more gods? Well, through sexual means. It's real easy. You see, from reasoning from the given... If you look at what is given to us in creation, you would assume God is either both male and female, or He is made of many male and females. Which would be more likely? I mean, just look around. There's many of us. None of us look the same. None of us are the same. Therefore, the conclusion, reasoning from what we are given, from what's around us, is there are many gods and goddesses. It's fascinating. There's a reason that in the Old Testament only the men were called to be priests. There's a reason for that. It's safeguarding against mixing of this male and female because in all the religions around Israel, you always had male and female priests. And they were always, well, to say it nicely, sexually engaged. Ashtoreth in the Bible... The Asherah poles, those were phallics, representations of the male penis. Why? Because sex is power. Is it not in our world today? Have things really changed? I mean, if sex is power in that day and age, isn't it in our commercials? Can you even run through one reel of commercials without a sexually charged for gum or for deodorant? And sex is there. Why? Because sex is power. It moves the world. And it does the gods as well. The gods. This is the context of Israel. Everybody believes in multiple gods. You have gods for weather. You have gods for water, for food, for fertility. I mean, if you were not able to have a baby, you didn't go to the local fertility doctor. You went to the priest or the priestess depending on which one God you chose that was fertile. Zeus was a fertile God. You could become Zeus through ritual. Literally become Him and receive His fertility. It's why they set up 
the bull in the wilderness. It's why we have a bull outside of Wall Street. A bull represents fertility. Don't you want your stocks to be fertile? I would like that. These are representations of fertility. They call them gods. We call it Wall Street. We call it power. Movers and shakers. So, are there gods? Other gods? Well, there are only in the sense that we've made them into God. You see, there's only one God. Everything else is a simulation of Him. And it's false. It's man-made and weak. Made with our own hands. It's fascinating. I have a friend who is in India where polytheism and idolatry is still practiced. On every street corner they sell idols. And they have this big, where he is in his city, they have this large uh, idol to one of the gods. They have 350 million plus gods in India. That's when they stopped counting. And that's no joke. And one of them in the, one of the recent floods uh, was swept away. And he, he showed this picture of it standing with, you know, not the flood. And then in the flood, the god is, you know, you know being, being, you know, flooded away, um, destroyed. You'll remember in the Bible, the Ark of the Covenant goes to Dagon. There was an idol for Dagon who was a god. I think he was a god of agriculture. Uh, so if you wanted your crops to do well, your grocery store to go put their stuff on sale, then you went to Dagon and offered sacrifices to him. Much like you do to Kroger or Publix. And they put the Ark of the Covenant in the same room with Dagon, and the next morning they woke up and Dagon is, is on his face before the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God for the people of Israel, and it had been captured. And so they set him back up. Oh, sorry, Dagon. You're not supposed to worship him. <laughs> um, let's set you up again. And then they set him up again, and he falls down again and breaks both hands. Um, and then the bubonic plague spreads in their community, and they say, we've got to get this thing out of here. Um, because this God is more powerful than our gods, and we've got to move Him out. Uh, this was the world that they lived in. It's the world of Avatar, the movie. That is polytheism to a T. When I touch this, it moves to the gods. When I say this, it affects the tree, which affects humanity. What is global warming and the extreme environmentalists told us? It has told us that Mother Nature is angry at us because she smells the fumes of our CO2 and carbon monoxide. And she is spewing out hurricanes, angrily throwing out tornadoes, and botching up our weather. <clears throat> As if she's alive. Which for them, she is. Mother Nature, where does everything come from in life? From a womb. It's not by accident we call it Mother Nature. It's a womb. Sexuality is at the heart of everything in this world, in the pagan world. And I would contend that it's at the heart of everything, really, in our world. It's just been warmed up and nuked in the microwave and presented differently. So, what are the gods? The gods are what we want to be. We want to be Zeus. 
We want to be Aphrodite, who's able to get and seduce whoever she wants. We want to be power. We want to be controlling. We want to do magic. All magic is doing is saying, this you push here and it releases this God to do this. You say these words and it releases a power within the universe to do this. We have projected what we want to be on the gods. Now, they called them Dagon, Aphrodite, Tammuz. These are some that are mentioned in the Bible. There's others. El, Baal, you remember him, Baal. I think some of our idols are called by the names of certain rappers by the names of certain superstars or movie stars. I don't want to mention any to offend anyone. Channing Tatum. For some, he's become a god. Justin Bieber. Other women who are in super Heidi Klum. I don't know whatever is your fancy, but these have become gods for us. We want to emulate who they are and what they're able to do, their power. It's, it's idol worship. What about Alabama football? I mean, where else in the world... I mean, just imagine with me a moment if all of a sudden everybody in Alabama just disappeared. And a hundred years later, sociologists came and looked at what we did and studied and wrote down and tried to imagine what life was like for Alabamians in the 21st century, at the beginning of the 21st century. And they got here and they walked down Madison, or they walked down 72 here, and they see a restaurant snug up against another restaurant and another. They would say to themselves, these people are absolutely obsessed with food. I mean, they must have just been, I don't know, worshiping food. That's what they would have said. Then they would have got down to Tuscaloosa and said, my goodness. This has got to be religious. Nothing else would, would demand such money and power and prestige as a place that would hold 100,000 plus people. What were they doing here? They must have been worshiping something. Or they found our houses and they said, you know, I'm noticing this little, little black box in every house that's, that's really the center of every room it makes itself into. It must have been something they worshiped. I'm just saying, gods and goddesses aren't dead for us. They're much alive. They're much alive. So why do we only worship Yahweh? Notice what is said here. It's fascinating. Before God gives them these commands in both Exodus and Deuteronomy, look at verse 6. He says, I am... Which is actually what Yahweh means, by the way. I am that I am. So who is God? He is. He is what? He is. In other words, there's nothing in this world that can define who God is. He is who He is. <laughs> he defines everything else. Nothing defines Him. He's the one and only God that created everything, including us. I am Yahweh. In your Bible, you can see L-O-R-D in all caps right there. Anytime you see it in all caps, 
That is the term Yahweh. Y-H-W-H. Yahweh or Yahweh. Nobody knows how to pronounce it. It's called also the Tetragrammaton because it's only made of four letters that we know of. It was so sacred that God's personal name that was given to Moses at the burning bush, it was so sacred the Jews never said it. They never spoke it. They were too afraid. We curse His name and we're not afraid. We use Jesus as a curse word in our society. But one day we won't. One day that name everyone will bow to. Notice what it said, I am the Lord your God. Now, God's here and God there is the same term, Elohim. It's just a general name for God. But God's personal name that He gives to Moses, Yahweh, Lord, is a sacred name that defines God. Our term for God. God is just meaning supreme. You look up God in the dictionary in Webster's, which I did last night just to make sure I was on spot. Because I'm obsessed with the dictionary, it's okay. Is supreme. What is ultimate? That's God. So, if you make Alabama football, if you make food, if you make money, if you make power, if you make your job, if you make your kids ultimate, supreme, the end all, everything by which your life is oriented around and centered upon, then you've just made yourself a God. Maybe you've even put yourself there. Before you'll give your money to someone else, or before you'll give your time, or your goodness, or your generosity, or your decency, to God, you say, no, I'm going to take my life in my own hands, and we switch thrones. You push God out, and you push yourself onto the throne. The problem with that is there's only one king. (laughs) And you can play a little game down here and act like you're the king of your life, adjusting your thermostat and driving where you want to do, looking up what you want to do, and trying to become whatever it is and try to write your own story in this life. But there is only one king and it's his story. He's the ultimate author and he is also the finisher. He's got the conclusion already written. And we must align to that. Not, to our, not, not formulate our own world. We must come under His submission and under His rule. That is the kingdom of God. That is the kingdom of heaven that Jesus comes preaching. Now you remember when Satan comes to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 is one of these occurrences. He says to him in three different temptations, he quotes the Word of God. And in all of them, Jesus' rebuttal, His defense, if you will, is also to quote the Word of God, but not out of context and not twisting it. And this last one, uh, Jesus said to him again, it's written, this is verse 7, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, verse 8 of 4, In Matthew, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Now, when he says that, Jesus saw Nazi Germany. Jesus saw the Babylonians. Jesus saw the Assyrians who had gone before. He saw 
everyone who's ever risen up a kingdom, he saw Rome, who he was already under, he saw all the kingdoms of the world. And he could have, right here apparently, if we believe that Satan has this kind of power over kingdoms, which apparently Paul alludes to that he has principalities and powers, he is the the Satan of the air who works in governments, who works in rulers. He could have put an end to Nazi Germany, World War II. He also, in one of the former temptations, turned bread into, I mean, turned the stone into bread. He could have ended world hunger. That was the temptation. See, these are not just simple temptations. We read the temptation and say, that's easy to not, not want that. No, no, no. You don't understand what was happening here. He could have delivered. There would have never been another war again, is what he's saying. And Jesus' response here is this. Nope, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. He would have had to have bowed down before Satan, and God says, no, no, you only worship God. He actually quotes from Deuteronomy here again. Deuteronomy is a pillar in the Old Testament. The devil left him, and the angels came and ministered to him. He didn't fall into the temptation. Instead, no, man does not live by bread alone, and you're only to worship God. If you put power, raw power, first, you've made it a God. That's what he'd have been doing. He'd have been. Uh, this was a power play. You you bow down before me, submit to me. And I'll give you all the kings of the world. No, God's kingdom is not of this world. Praise be to God. <laughs> His is a heavenly kingdom by which we move as citizens toward. Even today, we're already a part of this kingdom. We're bringing the kingdom of God to this earth now. By being salt, we preserve a decaying society. Just like meat decays, we are meant to be salt. I believe the Christian church is the only reason America hasn't already fallen. So God help us if we become weak salt and light exposes the darkness. This is our job as a church. We're to expose the darkness and point to the light. We're like moons. You know, we're not we're not uh, we're not like the sun who's S U N and S O N. No, we get our light from him. We never generate our own light. He is light and in Him is no darkness at all. He can expel the darkness. He can help us to get rid of the gods in our lives. So, are there any gods in our life today, you say? I mean, really, Marshall, come on. You know, after, after the Greek philosophers and after Jesus came along and Christianity exploded, I mean, polytheism doesn't have the stronghold it does in the West. And we're in the West. We're not in the East. No, we're in the West, man. Come on. There's no gods around. I mean, look around. And I'm saying, yeah, I do look around. I see how people live. Some people, it seems, they live to watch television. At least according to Facebook. Everything they do is oriented around shows or entertainment. The God of entertainment. The God of leisure. The God of debt. 
and credit. That's power. That's another power play. The God of wishing your life away. I wish I had this, or I wish I had that. I wish I could become those people. I wish I had that kind of, I wish I had this kind of break. We wish our entire life away coveting what other people have. Breaking the tenth commandment. The God of pleasure. Not just sexual pleasure, just the pleasure of having everything go smooth in our life. Some people are obsessed with things going smoothly when Jesus wants to bring us across. A cross is not smooth. It's going to disrupt your life. It's going to take your life. Jesus says to us, if you don't lay down your life, you won't get your life in the end. If you try to hold on to your life in this life, you're going to lose it. But if you give your life away, open yourself up to God's service. Make Him your boss. That's where real life is found. That is crucifying the gods in our life. Most of us, all of us, have set up self. What Paul calls the flesh as God in our life. Us. We've put ourselves in the place of God. We try to become God. It's our natural tendency until the Holy Spirit comes in and can cleanse our heart and reorient our life and put that to death. That's why as long as we serve the flesh, we will never please God. We'll never please God. But praise be to God, we can crucify these gods in our life. The gods of food and wine. The God of lying. The God of fashion. The God of laziness. The God of sports and entertainment. The God who hates. The God of anger. Malice. Wanting bad for other people. I've met people who literally wait for bad things, long for bad things to happen to good people. That's a God. You've made that ultimate. Whatever you make ultimate. Whether it's children or people. I've seen whole families that the the marriage was rotting away as they focused on the children. That's not God's design. The children will move on. You won't. You're staying together forever. The children need to see the love, the covenantal love that's between you two. That's what they need to see more than anything. That's what needs to be emulated before them. The God of convenience. We could go on and on and on. There are many gods around us that people worship. That people give themselves to wholeheartedly. With all of their heart. I've seen people for hours just sports, sports, sports. While their Bible is just closed. Their heart is closed. What have we done? What are we doing? What are we really living for? It must be, the first commandment says, the one and only God. Why? Because He's jealous for us. The same jealousy that makes me protect and work hard to provide for my family. It's that same kind of jealousy that I don't just let my kids go off with any old body. 
But instead, I make sure that they're going to be safe. That they're going to be protected. That they're going to be clothed and fed and taught who God is. Why? Because I have a jealous love for them. I'm going to protect my children. And God says, I'm going to protect my children. And the first command to do so is to put me first. You say, is he egocentric? Is he all about... No. He just knows that he is who he is. (laughs) He's Yahweh. He's not some podunk God that only has asked, you know, that only sits there and does the, the does the weather or the water or the you know they have all kind of gods for Egypt. No, no, he owns everything. When he says it, it happens. He's all powerful. He's authoritative, and he sits this morning listening into us here. That's what's amazing, and he's asking you to put him before all others. Have you done that in your heart? Many Christians come to Christ and get forgiveness of sin, but they're still running their life. There must come a time where you say, enough is enough. I can't run my own life. I can't do this on my own. Jesus! You see, Yahweh's the personal name in the Old Testament. Jesus is the personal name for God in the New Testament. Call on that name That name is powerful and He'll come running. He'll come running to help. He loves you more than you can imagine and He's here to help. Amen.